Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means that you'll hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson and it's December 6th. The Halifax disaster took place on this day in 1917. With the exception of nuclear explosions, this was one of the biggest man-made explosions in history. And it happened when two ships collided in the harbor at Halifax. There was a French freighter called the Mont Blanc and a Norwegian freighter called the Emo. The Mont Blanc was carrying explosives for the war effort. This was during World War I. The Emo was headed to New York to pick up food to take to Belgium as part of a relief effort because there were people in Europe who were, frankly, starving in the wake of World War I. Neither of these ships planned to be in the harbor at this particular time. There was an anti-submarine boom that was being used at night to try to protect the harbor from German U-boats. And the Emo had wanted to leave the day before, but they needed to pick up an order of coal, and that coal didn't get there until it was too late. The boom had already been put in place. They couldn't get out. The Mont Blanc was supposed to have arrived on the 6th, but had gotten there a little bit ahead of schedule the night before, but also too late to get into the harbor. So then on the morning of the 6th, both ships were trying to navigate a very busy, very crowded, narrow waterway. And they started approaching each other on a collision course after a series of twists and turns and attempts to get around other maritime traffic. The Emo hit the Mont Blanc a little after 8.30 a.m., When this happened, some of the containers aboard the Mont Blanc broke, and sparks from the collision started a fire. So the Mont Blanc's captain, knowing what was aboard, ordered everybody to abandon ship. But no one else really knew what the Mont Blanc was carrying. Normally, it would have been flying a flag marking that it carried munitions, so people would have known there was explosive material aboard the ship. But That wasn't being flown because of the war effort. There were fears that doing that would just make the ship a target for a German torpedo attack. So when this collision happened on shore, a lot of people stopped what they were doing to go watch, which is a pretty normal human behavior. They didn't know that there was such dangerous material on one of the ships. They didn't know they needed to take cover. People gathered at windows and all of the buildings around the water. They gathered on rooftops. And the few people who did, for whatever reason, know what was happening or intuit what was happening, they tried to clear the docks and get people out of the way, but there were just too many people, not enough foreknowledge of what was about to happen. And at 9.06 a.m., the Mont Blanc exploded. Debris was thrown for miles away from the ship. The ship's gun landed five and a half kilometers away, and it said the shockwave from the explosion was felt 300 kilometers away. Hundreds of people instantly died, and altogether, more than 2,000 people were killed, and 9,000 more were injured and needed medical treatment. A lot of the injuries were eye injuries and blindness 
Thousands of buildings were also damaged in the explosion. A rescue effort started almost immediately, but was soon hampered by a blizzard. Naturally, an inquiry followed this. It had been a major disaster with a huge loss of life, but ultimately it was found that the Mont Blanc and the Emo were both at fault. The city of Boston sent aid to the city of Halifax, and in return, Halifax sends a Christmas tree to Boston every year with a lot of pomp and fanfare on both ends of the journey. You can learn more about this on the December 19th, 2011 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on the show. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a date that still does live in infamy. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast for folks who can never have enough history knowledge. The day was December 6, 1912. A team led by German archaeologist Ludwig Borchardt unearthed a limestone bust of ancient Egyptian queen Nefertiti. The bust has since become an iconic and often copied representation of Nefertiti. Nefertiti reigned as queen of Egypt in the 14th century BCE, and she was the wife of the pharaoh Akhenaten of the 18th dynasty of Egypt. Borchardt and a team of archaeologists from the German Oriental Society were excavating at Amarna, a site in Egypt, when they unearthed a bust of Nefertiti in the workshop of a sculptor named Thutmose. Borchardt described the bust in his diary, but then wrote that there was no use in describing the art and that you have to see it. The bust is about 19 inches or 48 centimeters tall. It's made of limestone and coated with layers of painted stucco. Nefertiti is wearing a tall, flat-topped blue crown with a golden diadem band wrapped around it and a broken ureus or cobra in the front. She is also wearing a patterned collar and the pupil of her right eye is made of quartz that's painted black. Her left eye does not have the same crystal inlay. In January of 1913, the excavation finds from Amarna were divided into two lists. Gustave Lefebvre, inspector of the Egyptian Antiquities Service, did not take the list that had Nefertiti's bust on it. Nefertiti, as well as other busts, were awarded to Berlin. The artifacts came under the possession of philanthropist James Simon, co-founder and treasurer of the German Oriental Society and funder of the Amarna excavations. Simon donated the works he had from Amarna to the new museum in Berlin, and ownership of the artifacts was transferred to the state of Prussia. Though many finds from the Amarna excavation were put on display, the Nefertiti bust was not shown to the public until an exhibition in Berlin in 1924. During World War II, the Nazis moved the bust for safekeeping, but after the war, the bust was displayed in West Berlin. In 1957, a decade after the state of Prussia dissolved, the Prussian Cultural Heritage Foundation became the legal owner of the Nefertiti bust. Today, the sculpture is part of the Egyptian Museum of Berlin collection and is on display at the new museum. But Egypt has been calling for the return of the bust since 1924. Pierre Lacoe, director of the Egyptian Antiquities Service, requested its repatriation that year. Dr. Zahi Hawass, 
former Secretary General of the Egyptian Supreme Council of Antiquities, believes the bust was taken from Egypt illegally and has called for the return of antiquities taken out of Egypt during the colonial era. Despite Egyptian authorities' persistent attempts to reclaim Nefertiti's bust and some German recognition of concerns surrounding ethics and appropriation, the Prussian Cultural Heritage Foundation still claims ownership of the bust. Swiss art historian Henri Stierlin and historian Erdogan Erjouan have both claimed that the bust is a fake. But those claims have been dismissed as publicity stunts, since scientific analysis has verified its authenticity. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. We also accept electronic letters at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks again for listening and have a fantastic 24 hours until we see you again. Thank you.